Praise God. I'll let you get your notes there. And if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. I want to start, we're, we're doing a series called Power to Change. And our belief is that the Scripture says that God will give every one of us the power to change ourselves first and then to expand beyond that and be an influence factor on our cell groups, our neighbors, our family, etc., etc. But it's going to start with us. Power to change what? Well, power to change darkness into light. And I want to read a few scriptures that Paul brings to our attention about that to begin with, about the nature of warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the word there is mind games, playing games with our thoughts, with our minds. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, authority, against the authorities, against the powers of this darkness, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'll just read also, if I may, Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. If you have raised any children, particularly boys, you will know that sooner or later, a boy will come home with a bloody nose because someone, somewhere, is going to smack him, right? I'm afraid that's the hard reality of life. And that is a hard thing to face. It's a hard thing to deal with. I, James, our son, didn't come home with a bloody nose, but I remember he was chased home one day and came thundering into the house when he was probably about 12. Well, I can tell you, as his stepdad, Oh, you're fit to be tied, as they say. You know, you're, you become dangerous when that kind of thing happens, right? You need to know how to fight. You need to know the rules of warfare. Because life, if as a father, when I see my son get hit, how do you feel? Well, answer me this question. How do you think God feels about you, his child, when he sees you get hurt, when he sees you get damaged or mentally tormented, as Paul pointed out, when God sees his children hurt, he's a good father, amen. And he will want to do, to teach us how to defend ourselves, to teach us the rules, if you like, of warfare. Now, you may get your son and say, you know, put your hands up and teach him how to shadow box. I don't like boxing, but you know what I mean. Teach him how to defend himself, right? I have nothing against self-defense, friends. I tell you that. Absolutely nothing, okay? Some Christians think because I'm a believer, I'm a doormat. Well, you're not a doormat, amen? You're not a doormat. All through the Scriptures, you'll see that God had to go to war at certain times, and I'm sorry to say, but that is a, a, a fact of life, okay? But we do need to know the rules of war. 
Even in boxing, boxing is controlled by a thing called the Queensbury Rules, okay? Strict guidelines. And if you break the rules, you suffer for it, okay? You suffer greatly for it in the ring. If you watch a rugby match, you could be deceived into thinking there's such chaos on a rugby pitch that you could think there's no rules going on there at all. Are there rules? Oh, you better believe it. There's lots of rules. And actually, you ignore, if you ignore the rules, you'll be disqualified and you won't actually be able to compete. And so it is with the spiritual warfare as well. In 1950, the nations of the world formed what we know as the Geneva Convention. And I like the Geneva Convention, actually, because it says this. It, it, it is a, an unfortunate fact that there will be wars. We don't want there to be wars, but we realize that every now and again, a tyrant like Hitler or whatever, we realize that someone is going to rise up, and we realize that war will be a necessity. So why have the Geneva Convention? Well, the Geneva Convention said this, but it's, we're only going to war because it's a necessity. We will not permit gratuitous violence or unnecessary pain or unnecessary suffering in any war. And if anybody inflicts such things, we will designate that to be a war crime. Okay? So even the lost nations of the world understand the necessity for war, but the lost nations also put prohibitions upon unnecessary suffering, unnecessary pain. I just want you to understand, folks, there really are principles in warfare. And we're doing a series, a very important series, I believe, on power, to receive power in our lives right? And to exercise that power for healing, for deliverance. But I counsel you this morning and myself, make yourself very au fait with the rules of warfare. If I was to sum up God's advice as I see it to you and me about how to function in power and prayer, it would be to say this, all warfare should be contained within the character of God. Everything that we do, all of our actions, should be contained within the character of God. Jesus always remained Jesus, always remained in character. When he was in the wilderness for 40 days and then he faced Satan, still in character, right? When he was in Gethsemane, indeed he faced Satan again, but he was still in character. And even at the, 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 the epitome of warfare, the cross, we see Jesus still in character. And he's saying, Son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. Even in warfare, he's still the same. We have this little saying, and I think we probably forget what it means. God is good. What does that mean? What it means is this, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, even in warfare. Okay, now this sounds very simple, but it's a very important principle. And I've seen, thank God, not too many, but I've seen a few lives, Christian lives, get shipwrecked on this very point. 
We can commit, whether we're aware of it or not, all kinds of war crimes, spiritual war crimes. Going in your own strength is a crime, if you like, in warfare. Going without consultation with the Holy Ghost. You remember the many battles that Joshua won. What was his hallmark? Always seeking God, always getting clarification from God. Witchcraft is a war crime. And it's easy for us to be involved in witchcraft. It's easy for you to be involved in witchcraft, but not know it. What is witchcraft? Trying to control anybody or any circumstance by any other means than the Holy Ghost. If I become manipulative, controlling, dominating, if I use anger, mood swings, Paul makes it very clear these things are the works of the flesh, and he says they are as witchcraft. Do you understand me? Serious statement from Paul there. So that's a war crime, right? That's, I can be involved in crimes that God does not like and not even be aware of it. But as I say, to sum it up in one sentence, the greatest crime of all is being out of character, out of the character of God. For me, because I've studied the, 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 the whole subject of warfare extensively in the past, I was absolutely fascinated by it. And my conclusion at the end of it all was that the Bible paints two types of war going on at the same time. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes fights and wars among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire and do not have, so you kill and you covet. The Bible talks about two types of war. If I can call one a holy war, a good fight, the good fight of faith that Paul would speak about. And if I can, all, if I can call the other one a bad war. Now, Maybe it's easier for us to be involved in these bad wars than we realize. Everybody look up. Listen carefully. Oh, many years ago, a small group of Africans came to me, but 20, I think it was actually 21, because I remember that significant numbers. 21 Africans came. They wanted to form a church, and we started working with them, and that church became very successful. Actually, grew to about 200 people, and things were fine, and we were in and out of the country, and I remember coming back one time and being told that the church had split. And I was very upset, hurt, angry, everything. And I went to the one group who was led by the pastor, Pastor Remba Osengo, and I said, what's up, Remba? What's going on? How so quick? What happened? And he told me, ah, Satan, in the other group. <laughs> it's the devil. That's what it is. Satan himself, I tell you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're fasting, Pastor Mike. Oh, we're fasting, we're fasting. All right, thank you very much. Go to the other group. What happened? Satan! It was Satan! He's in the other group! Fasting we are! And I remember, mm, good fight, bad fight. You feel like getting the heads and banging the heads together. In my opinion, both groups, bad fight. Both groups, not a holy war. And it was actually, they remained split for... Hmm, probably, I can't remember, probably about a year, a year and a half, until we actually had a big combined service, and I rebuked a lot of them, and they got back together again after that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Trouble times, folks, and people not knowing how to fight, how to deal with the situation. 
Do you know in the book of Isaiah it says, God says, I don't want your fasts because after you've finished fasting, you strike each other with wicked fists. Do you understand? And both of those groups, in my opinion, were deluded. Deluded into thinking that this was some sort of holy war, that this was some sort of, you know, no, no war crime, but I do not agree. I believe it was serious crime because love of our brothers comes first, and love was absent in that circumstance. Okay? So it's not as easy or as clear as it may first seem. It's not easy to stay within the character of God in battle. Years ago, I, I was invited potentially to be part of a conference that was taking place in Wales with a, a famous lady at that time called Marilyn Harry, and thousands of people were being saved, and a number of people put their submissions in for doing sessions at that conference. And my session was one of the sessions that was accredited, but I didn't know if I was going to do my session until I got there. But you know what? You kind of know, you know? You kind of know. And I, oh no, I, knew, I know we're going to be doing this. I can feel it in my gut. We're on. So I prepared. I brought my team with me, and we turned up at this intercession tent before the conference began, and there was, this, <laughs> there was this woman, you know, and she was in warfare, but she took a dislike to me the minute she set eyes on me. I walked into the place. Have you ever had an encounter like that? And she, I tell you, she was speaking in tongues nonstop. Couldn't get an English word out of her. Looking at me. She scared me. I thought, look at her. My Lord. Spooky. And I said, you know, we're, we're putting... The, you won't be doing that. You won't be doing that. Okay, okay. I said, well, I need to just put our submission in. And Marilyn Harry sort of came in at some point and I put my stuff down. So, so we're not going to be doing it. And this lady seems to be in control. She shouldn't be in control. The leader should be in control. Something not right with this. Something not right here at all. So I just put my phone number down. I said, listen, guys, I don't need to do it. It's no problem to me. We're off. I, you know, I think you're wrong, but no problem. God bless your conference. And I went. Now, I, I remember this. It was very early in the morning the following day, like 6.15. My phone rings. Marilyn Harry, the evangelist. I can't sleep. What happened yesterday wasn't right, was it? I said, no, you need to look after your intercessor. Who's leading this thing? She said, I want you to come. I want you to do that session. Now, you see, my point is this. Here I've got this woman who's gone a little bit weird. Some people do that. Now, what am I going to do? Am I going to start bad-mouthing her? Am I going to get into an argument with her? No. I said to the team, leave it, leave it, pray. God will sort it out. God will deal with it. He'll do a better job than you. Don't get into an argument over these things. Those things are darkness, not light. Stay in the character of God. Don't get all muddled up and mixed up with that stuff. In fact, this was one of the principal warnings we always gave to Pastor Jeff and the evangelism team when they were going downtown because it would happen very often. Um, good spirit in Jeff, you know, good spirit in our team as well. Pray in the church, full of the Holy Ghost, full of the character of God, and then go down on the street, and you've got a good spirit, and the lost will come up with a bad spirit, and you can have a battle, and you know what the trouble is? Sometimes you can pick up the wrong 
spirit. And sometimes when, someone's, when you're preaching in a good spirit and someone says, shut up, you hate us, but you can actually respond the same way. You get me? And you can end up taking on the same spirit that is on the street. And all of a sudden, you've just jumped out of character. And it's not just this team, but all evangelism teams. When you go on the street, you need not only to go in the spirit of God, go in the character of God, but you need to be hyper-conscious that you will not let your character be hijacked by the many, many bad spirits that are on the streets of our city. Amen. Okay? But some people just don't get that. They just never get it. They can't see the flaw. They can't see that they're being affected by these things. And that's disastrous because it doesn't produce fruit. It doesn't produce fruit because you've lost your actual edge there, which is the Spirit of God. Amen? So many examples of the good war, bad war. I was with someone just a couple of weeks ago you know, I, I don't know what you're like, but when someone accuses me of something, I, I'm not good at defending myself. I never have been. And it kind of used to bug me. You know? I'd be in a meeting or something, and someone would say, oh, you did this because of that. You did, and something, I just shut down. Like an idiot. You like that as well? I don't know what's wrong with me. And I get outside, and I think, well, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say that? But something in me just doesn't actually rise up when I get accused of stuff. And for many years, it bugged me. But you know what doesn't bug me now? It doesn't bother me anymore. Just let them say it. Just let them say whatever they want. And I, it, it, a certain individual was in a very bad place. They were completely and utterly wrong. And I went to see them. This is only a few weeks ago. And you know, that person is such a good talker. That as soon as you get in the door, they can talk, you know, motor mouth. And, and they can talk so much that they can make darkness seem like light. And I haven't got that ability, thank God. And I'm sure we all know people just like that who have the ability, even though they're wrong, they're so fast with their words, so clever with their words. That's called witchcraft, by the way, as well. It's wickercraft, like a basket. It's weaving things so that it forms another shape, so it forms another thing, right? And some people are so clever with their words and so fast of speech, so quick of tongue, so quick in the brain, that even when they're wrong, you can't somehow seem to argue back and they seemingly win the battle, but they certainly don't win any war. They are to be pitied. And I left that encounter, and actually I met Pastor Tom, and I remember saying to him, because I had I'd left that encounter, and I just paused for a moment, quietly talking to God. And I said this to God. I said, God, please don't ever, ever let me be that smart. I don't ever want my tongue to be able to speak like that. They make darkness sound like light. When they are wrong, they can make it seem right. I don't want that. That's not a holy war. That's a wicked thing. That's a horrible thing. It's got no place in us. Do you understand me, folks? And often you will find this type of person in all echelons of society. Very often, people without education can be very sharp, very smart, very quick of tongue. 
Take a stroll through Postle Park and you'll soon find out what I mean, okay? Because we had a drop-in center there for a long time. People in Dublin and Shakur, same thing. Here we are in, 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 in rough areas, tough areas, yet you find people able to talk their way around many things. But not just that. In, in, in all strata of society, you will find that problem. I don't want it. I don't like it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, it says this, Where there are many words, sin is not far away. Where there are many words, sin is not far away. And I want to assess the battle, the fight that I fight. And the more I go to warfare, the more like Jesus Christ I should become. Amen? The more time. At that conference, folks, everybody look up. At that conference, that lady who was trying to block me from going in there, it seemed to me the more warfare she did, the more like the devil she became. You know what I mean? So something's not right. Something's not working here. Right? It's very, it's very true. Thank God I haven't seen many like that. But the more war warfare I do, the more like Christ and in the character of Christ I should be becoming. A very good author called Watchman Nee, who many of you will know, wrote many books. I can't remember which book this point was made in, but in one book he says this, it's not about being right or wrong so much as it's about being Christ-like. That's what it's about. And if you can focus, instead of trying to win the point, instead of trying to win the battle or the argument, if you can focus on being Christ-like, you will find that things will work out probably a lot better and a lot quicker. Okay? And again, if I can mention your evangelism, because I know there's lots of the cell groups and the homeless, the elderly, etc. There's great evangelism going on in different places, and just great. At the homeless on, on uh, Thursday... I'll give you an example of not having to prove your point. People know who we are, folks. They know you're Christians. They know why you're out there. If you're in a cell group or in work, they know you. They know your point. And in the homeless on Thursday, this guy, he knew who we were. He had his shopping bags, right? And he was passing through the crowd, and uh, he was homeless. And I said, hello. And he kept hold of his bags, ready to move. He said, hello. And he's waiting for it. He's waiting for me to make my point. He's waiting for me to say, you're a sinner going to hell, and I'm a Christian going to heaven. He's waiting for it, you see? And he's got his bags ready. I'm off. I say, do you live around here? I live just here. And he's waiting for it. <laughs> when are you going to say it? I know what you want to say. Just say it. But I didn't say it. How long have you lived there then? I lived there a little while. Where did you live before that? Across town. Okay. Why did you move? It's all about him. I don't need to make my point. All about you. Why did you move? And you know, something broke. He stopped a moment, and he put his bags down, and he said, I moved because I got divorced. And I got divorced after I got out of prison. And then he just completely relaxed, and he said, everything went wrong for me after I left prison. And out, we were standing with him, you probably saw, the whole night, that guy was looking for someone just to talk to. And I think this, I think by the end of the night, I hope to God, he understood himself. You understand by talking about your problem, 
he, he talked about who he was and what he was. And may God bless him. I don't need to ram stuff down his throat. There's a place for proclamation. I'm not talking about proclamation. I'm talking about evangelism. A completely different things, okay? Not a prophet. I'm talking about evangelism, winning souls. And that's a much more delicate fishing technique. And that chap was coming out of himself. And I tell you this, folks, by coming to me, he's coming to Christ. By talking to me, he's just taking those little steps in the correct direction. And I don't need to bring him from A to Z. I don't need to make my point. I don't need to win any argument. That's just silly warfare. I just need to be Christ-like. Not right, not wrong. I need to be Christ-like to be there. So, don't be afraid of that. I find many people are actually very afraid of that. Yesterday in the evangelism, there was a juggler there in town, and he could see what I was doing. I could see what he was doing. But same thing, same issue. When he took his break, I went over and stood beside him. He can see my leaflets, and I can see the sarcastic look on his face. <sighs> Give us a break. Don't give me one of your leaflets. I didn't offer you a leaflet. I didn't offer you a leaflet at all. All I did, I went up to him, and I said, why don't you use music? And he didn't expect that. Why? I don't use music. You should use music when you do your juggling. It'd be far more effective. How do you draw the crowd then? Oh, but it was about me. I, said, I thought you were coming to tell me about your point. And he started telling me about this, and it turns we've been in different cities that I've been in, and we talked about the different, you know, because the police move you on in some places. Excellent. Good discussion. And, and then we had to go. So I turned to go, and I said, oh, one of our leaflets? <laughs> and he said, yeah, uh, do you know what? I can't read it now, because I'm going to start. I'll put it in my bag. I'll read it when I get home, okay? Say, so, uh, that's enough, isn't it? Isn't that enough? It's enough for him to go away I've got to understand that salvation doesn't belong to me. The Bible says salvation belongs to God. I can say, God, you've got it. He doesn't have it. Would you give it to him? Would you speak to him? Like the guy who killed a couple of people in Dublin, one of our friends, all on his own, got one of our leaflets from our church. He had murdered two people in Phoenix Park in Dublin. And somehow he got one of the leaflets from the church. He was born again in his cell, and he rang us up. And you go in there, and it's just wonderful to know that there's nobody in that cell, you know, prison cell, except that guy and the Holy Ghost and a leaflet explaining what to do. And that's the faith element of evangelism. But it's also it's critical for our, war, our warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Arguments, debates, manipulation. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. But it's important that we understand how we demolish those arguments. Point one on your notes this morning. This morning's message is very simple. But in my opinion, very, very important, very profound to, 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 to hear and make it at your modus operandi. Point number one, don't deal with the devil in his ways. Rather, stay in character and use the Word of God. Now, if I can show you a scripture you know well, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. I want you to see this one. Now, Matthew, turn to this. Matthew 4 verse 1. This is Jesus and how he operated in warfare. 
Jesus is so different from Eve. Jesus and Eve both faced Satan. The trouble with Eve was she got into a conversation with Satan, and Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't use the, the, the wrong tools. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered with Scripture, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him again, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written. I want you to understand. Now, please look up, folks. There's a big difference between Eve and Jesus Christ. When, when the devil tried to put mind games on Eve, she talked to him. Did God, he said to her, Did God really say? And he said, Well, I'm, let's just discuss this a moment. And that was the mistake. Okay? When, it, when, when, when the same Satan comes to Jesus, he doesn't enter into a debate because the devil, very quick of tongue, very clever with his speech, very manipulative and cunning, and Jesus doesn't get embroiled in that argument, you notice. Instead, he quotes Scripture. He fires back the Word of God. Okay? And I want you to accept something, folks. The devil will out-argue you. He will outwit you. The Bible calls him a cunning foe, okay? He will be able to be quick of tongue, as it were, and manipulate your thoughts and control your mind and switch it all over, which is why the rest of that Scripture in Ephesians says, therefore, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I don't want to deal with the devil in his ways. Rather, I want to stay in the character of Christ. I want to stay in the character of God. Luke chapter 10, and this is another controversial one. I've got myself in trouble over the years with this one. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus talks about demons when they're driven out, and he says to you, however, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, this is a more critical point than we perhaps realize or you perhaps realize. Now, folks, everybody, again, please look up. Stay, stay with me. There was this couple of people. We went through a period of driving out demons and healing and deliverance, and it was fantastic in Ireland. And a couple of people started to get the wrong end of the stick, one man and one woman. And I would hear them praying, and they would be dancing on the devil and getting knives and sticking the knife and all these wacky, crazy spiritual stuff, they thought. But, I mean, I mean, some of the stuff that woman was praying was just sick. It's gratuitous. It's like a war crime. She was doing stuff that, and I, I called both of them separately, I called both of them, and I said, you know what? I don't like your prayer here. I'm going to defeat the devil. I'm dancing on the devil. I'm dancing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just calm down a moment. Just one moment. <laughs> okay. You do not rejoice 
let the demons submit. That's what Jesus just said. You, you're, you, you should be rejoicing that the Christian is free. There's a difference. One of them is sickness. It is sickness to rejoice in pain and suffering. Can you say amen? amen. You're a very sick person. And you're getting into stuff there. You're getting, the character of God is being polluted by stuff that you don't even understand. Do not rejoice. One of the women who was the most possessed in our church, I drove that demon out of her. It's the only demon I've ever actually seen. You know, well, it, it isn't actually. We've seen other manifestations. But this was a very particular, unique experience for me in that I drove the thing out and actually saw it leave the room. But I will never forget how I felt. It was an all-night prayer meeting, and we were in the character of God, in the Spirit of God, you know, swimming in the love of God. And then I drove the demon out, and guess what? I was still swimming in the love of God, still in the character of God, and I took no delight that that demon had to go, no delight in its suffering, no delight in its departure, other than the woman is free. There's a big difference here. Let me show you Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18, 32. This is God talking, and he says, I take no pleasure in the delight, of, or, or sorry, in the death of the wicked. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, or in hell, or in any of these things. These things are a necessity. And I've, I'm, I'm glad to say that I haven't seen too many people make that mistake, but the ones who do get a little bit twisted. If you've ever had a mad dog, and goodness knows there's enough of them in this country, they seem to kill kids every year and all the rest of it. They should do something about it. But if one of those bulldogs kills someone, right, what should be done with that bulldog? Should we torture it? Should we torture it? No, because that's sick. That's what that is, sick. It's a dog for heaven's sake. It's a dog. Just put the thing down. Put the dog down. And that's what it's like with demons. When we drive out, it's out in Jesus' name. And there's no sadistic connection there with Christ because God is good all the time. God is good. And there's no sickness. And don't let your ministry, your spirit, get polluted by that stuff. It's got no place. Give me your full attention just for this point because this is the heart of really the message today. Don't be deceived into thinking the devil's always got a plan, always got a little strategy to get you. And you visit some homes and, and, and relationships, and you think, how on earth can you as a Christian behave like this towards your mother, towards your father, towards your husband, wife, whatever? How did you, how can you, where'd this come from? And the answer is, they didn't listen to this type of guidance. Listen carefully. The devil gets nasty with you. And his temptation is to get you to respond to him in the same way. So he's nasty, he's manipulative, he's cunning, he's whatever. He wants you to respond to the devil in the same way. If I do that, guess who's getting it next? You are, kid. My wife will get it. And then I will start dealing with you like that. And you see ways attitudes that are unchristian in many Christians. And you have to ask yourself, where did you pick that up? You didn't get that from God. You didn't get that in the Holy Spirit. 
You've been, you know, in warfare maybe, and you don't understand the powers that you're tangling with, wrestling with, and you're suffering for it. So fight the good fight, friends. We need to fight the good fight. But do it with the grace of God and the love of God and the patience of God, being very, very conscious at all times to stay in character. Could I have the first guy up there, Stefan, please? When we were traveling in Bulgaria last week, we had one day off in Bulgaria, and the pastor there said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, you tell me. And he said, I'll take you up into the mountains just outside Sofia, where all the spas are and all that. I said, okay, great. And as we were driving up, the pastor remembered. He said, oh, I have a friend up here called Vazil, and he is the son of the Godfather. <laughs> the Godfather? He said, yeah, the Mafia Don. He's the son of the, 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 the boss of the whole place. But Vazil is born again. The father is not. And the father is building huge resorts and hotels and holiday resorts all over the mountains. I'll call him and see if he's available. I thought, great, I'd love to meet him. So the, uh, Ivan rang the son, and this is him, this is Vazil. And he said, yes, I'm in town, come. And he met us, and he, it's the first time I've ever seen him. And he said, would you like to see, these are my words, my father's kingdom. <laughs> I said, I'd love to see your father's place. He said, you follow us. And he took us up where you wouldn't go because there was very sinister-looking guards around these places. He took us into the, the side of a mountain. This is, sorry, the pictures. I couldn't get back far enough on the mountain to get the expanse. Um, he took us to a holiday resort. Swimming pools, saunas, huge. And he stood us, a bit like Jesus did with Satan, when he took him up to a high place. And he said, all of this I will give you. And Vazil took us up there, and he stu we, we stood up on the mountain, and he said, let me show you. See this hotel in the distance? It's my father's. See these apartments? My father's. See all this building work? It's my father's. See, all of this belongs to him. And he said this, every time I meet my dad, he tells me his heart is broken. And my father tells me, I did all this for you. I want to give it to you. And Vazil said, but I tell him, I don't need it. I won't take it. I believe in Jesus. I'm following Jesus. He spends his full-time life traveling the hills, showing the Jesus movie in all the villages across over towards Turkey. I found it a great honor to meet him. He was full of joy, full of laughter, and we parted. It's good to know, isn't it? Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. And don't be deceived. It's the same old devil trying the same old tricks, trying to pollute your spirit, trying to hijack you. Don't let it happen. Simple first point. Don't deal with the devil the way he deals with you. Rather, stay in character. Number two, don't deal with others the way the devil deals with you. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And heaven knows it is easy to be overcome by evil in the world today, particularly if you're under a bombardment of attack. Do not be overcome by the evil in the world, but overcome evil with good. 
Forgive me for repeating this example, but there's many new people here. This is the best example I've ever seen in my life. That's why I will repeat it. Jeanette was, I came into the church in Ireland many years ago, and Jeanette was in the building on her own, and a lady had just said something to her that no human being should say to another human being. Bad, 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 bad. Terrible. And I just, the woman was leaving, I just happened to come in, and Jeanette, then she said, this is what she just said. Oh, dear me. And Jeanette was standing behind the desk, you know, and I just gave her a moment to get over her hurt. And I said to her, what are you going to do? And these, for me, it was like in front of her were invisible weapons, weapons of darkness. I'm going to answer back. (laughs) I'm going to give her some of what she's just given me. And there was all these bad tools, but on the other side, there was weapons of light. Now, she's a human being like anybody else, and she was furious. And she stood there very angry. I said, what are you going to do? And she said, you know what I'm going to do? (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray. I almost didn't make it. (laughs) But just that last minute turn to say, do you know what? No, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to treat you the way you treat me. That would make me like you, and I don't want to be like that. I'm not going to treat people the way they treat me. I'm going to live in the character of Christ and stay in the character of Christ no matter what they throw at me. This is good warfare, right? This is warring with the good tools of God, of grace and forgiveness, and I've given you a list there of peace and truth and righteousness and light. And I tell you what, friends, I'll tell you something else, and this is equally important. If you do, if you play by the rules, you've got God on your side. If you don't play by the rules, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble I told you a few weeks back about the crazy guy in Dublin, definitely the most demonized individual in the city. He was mad, and he was downright dangerous. But we got him delivered. But before he was delivered, I came out of the church one... uh, It was a sunny Sunday afternoon. I came out of the church, and I looked across. There was a hill, and this crazy, dangerous guy, which he was, probably still is, had gathered about 15 of our youth club, and they were all about 15, 16, 17 years old. He had gathered about 15 of them together, and this guy could talk. Man, he could talk. He was very clever. And I saw him coming, and I just felt sick to my stomach. I thought, this is trouble. So he came over to me. You, Michael McKeever, you, you, come here, youth. Listen, I will tell you about him. And he started talking. I was frightened. I mean, he could, he could destroy me. I know violent behavior. I worked with it. I thought, this guy's dangerous, and it's also dangerous for these youth, and I just don't know what to do. I, I was actually backed into a doorway, the doorway of our church. And he was standing there, and all the youth, I was watching them, listening to him, and they were believing him. And they were starting to look at me, think, ugh! It was a terrible situation, you know? And I thank God at that moment, I sent up an SOS. <laughs> huh? I, you know, silently I just prayed. I said, God, help me now. What do I do? And I, you know, in your hour of need, 
I felt God speak to me very clearly. Don't open your mouth. Don't open my mouth. <laughs> okay. So Alan goes, you, 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 that, huh? What have you got to say for yourself? <laughs> and then he would go at me again. Come on. What have you got to say for yourself? Hold my tongue. Hold my tongue. Hold my tongue. And he got about four rants out. And then the whole atmosphere changed. He changed. He became like a demon. And he started to actually manifest. And then the youth, instead of looking at me, they started looking at him and thinking, who is this guy? Just the power of the weapons of light. Actually, what happened next is he became very weird and actually started turning in a circle. The youth just dispersed and thought, oh, stuff him. But that man's brother was born again. Alan's brother is born again. His name's Stephen. And out of nowhere, you know, Stephen's a tough guy as well. Stephen came around the corner on a bike, put his bike down, came over, pumped <laughs> his brother. I thought, I'm out of here. I'm off. My job's done. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I got rescued with the youth, and I got rescued physically. Friends, God offers you weapons, but they are not the weapons of the world. They are weapons. And I find that these weapons, they act very quickly. I could have got into a physical fight. I could have lost our youth. Many things could happen in that situation if you don't obey the rules or if you don't know what the rules are to begin with, and that's where most people are at. There are actually many principles which we can lay down in weeks to come for fighting spiritually, guidelines, Queensbury rules, call it what you want. Point one, don't deal with the devil in his ways. Rather, stay in character. Point two, don't deal with others the way they deal with you. And point three, ultimately, I guess our goal is to deal with others the way Jesus Christ has dealt with you. Easy to say, easy words, but not easy to achieve. I'm sure you will agree with me. There's a very famous story of Alexander the Great who got news one day that there was a very wicked soldier in his army who was also called Alexander. But this particular soldier was famous for one thing, pain, torture. He was a soldier who wouldn't just kill people, he would torture them. And word got to the ears of Alexander the Great. Hey, there's a soldier called Alexander. He's becoming famous because of his cruelty. And the story goes like this. Alexander the Great said, bring him here. And they bring the soldier in, trembling. What do you want to see me for? And Alexander the Great said this, either you change your behavior or I will change your name. I don't want you fighting with the same name as me like that. Wow. Any Christians here? Anybody going and proud to hold the name of Christ here? That your friends know that that's your name? How's your warfare? I don't want Jesus ever, ever, ever to say to me, Michael, change your behavior. I will change your name. We need to stay in the character of Christ. And I have a promise then that He will deliver me, He will help me, He will do what is necessary 
I studied ICC, International Christian Correspondence Institute, many years ago. It's a, they send you books and stuff, and I did the evangelism course with them, and I actually left the book at Owen's funeral. I, I, I lost it that day. They start their evangelism course, which is, there's many courses you can do, but they started with this story, which is never, I've never forgotten in all my life. It was such a good testimony. It's the story of Ralph Leitner, and he was a missionary to South America many years ago when things were rather rough today, but they were much rougher then. And Ralph Leitner went down on his own. He goes out to a, a rural village where the tribes lived, and he starts to set up a church and invite people to prayer. But the villagers did not want him. They're into voodoo or whatever else. They said, you will not set this up here. But Ralph Leitner continued to invite them, continued to pray, continued to persevere, and said, I will start a church here, and I want you to come and join me. But they wouldn't. And then they started to warn him. And they said, okay, look, we've given you a little bit of time. You continue, and we'll kill you. And he had a choice to make. And he decided to continue. One day, a gang of men surrounded his house, dragged him out, and they tortured him. That's what they did. They tortured him, and tortured him, they tortured him, tortured him, and they killed him. And they left his body in the street. And his brother was also a pastor not far away, and he heard what had happened. And the brother traveled to the village, and sure enough, there's his brother's body. And the brother gets a spade, and he starts to dig the grave for his brother. And as he does, the villagers hear about it, and they all come out to watch, you know. Let's watch these Christians. Let's watch this Christian guy bury his brother. And they're all watching, and all the men are there, and the brother's a different type of character. He's very angry. You killed him, did you, you lot? Cowards! You killed him, did you? And he's digging the hole, and nobody's saying anything. They're just standing in silence watching. And one man broke rank and came out of the crowd, and he took the shovel. Give it to me. And he started to dig. And the brother said, Who are you? Huh? And the guy digging the hole said, I killed him. I killed him. And he stopped. And he said to his brother, I'm sorry I did it, because he was a good man. We tortured him. We were bad to him. But he was only nice. He was only good back to us. And no matter what we did to him, he was still good back to us. He was a good man. And we shouldn't have done it. And I'm sorry that I did it. Who's Jesus? What's this Jesus thing? That murderer went on to become a full-time evangelist. And the first page of ICC record this. That guy led over 100,000 people to Christ in South America. Hallelujah. You know why? Because he saw the light in a person. He saw someone who was in character when the pressure came on, stayed in character, and it was that that turned that soul, and he became a powerful engine for the gospel. Praise the Lord.